Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have James Putra, the Vice President and Crypto Product Strategy at TradeStation. We're going to discuss details about the company, its team, and involvement in crypto and any future plans. TradeStation is an online securities and futures brokerage firm and trading technology company. Thanks for coming on, James. Why don't we start with a little bit of information by yourself? Awesome, Joe. Thanks very much for having me. And I just got to mention, this is crypto, so we have all these disclaimers, but everything we talk about are my opinions and my opinions alone. So just a little bit about me. I have been in fintech for most of my career. I joined a startup right out of college, probably the best and worst thing you could do for a 24-year-old. I managed to join a team of three and sell that company and made some chunk of change. And at that point, at 24 years old, you think you got the Midas touch and it's easy. And <laughs> boy, was I wrong. I opened up a couple of different hedge funds, other trading firms, made my way over to the retail brokerage side, did some work at E-Trade, helped them launch an FX business. I joined TradeStation about 2012 to help them develop a Japanese equities trading business. And then shortly after that, I helped TradeStation with an innovation lab and then ultimately launched the crypto business, which is a growing part of our business and a very exciting component that we're working with now, which is just figuring out how to bridge that gap between traditional markets and crypto markets, because we have one leg in traditional and one leg in crypto markets. And how do you make it simple and understandable and less complex for people to get involved? So that's basics for those that are not aware. What is TradeStation and kind of what are the basic products that you guys offer to investors? So we're an online brokerage firm been in business 35 plus years. The main focus of the offering is a online broker dealer. We have under TradeStation Securities, there's equities, options, futures, futures options. Under TradeStation Crypto, we offer cryptocurrency spot trading. And all of that's made available on sort of a one-stop shop offering where you can interact with our tools and trade across all those different asset classes. So from the very beginner of any asset class, all the way up to the very experienced, we're able to interact with you from a tool perspective, from an offering perspective, from an education perspective. We do see a lot where we have very sophisticated equities investors that are new to crypto. And so they're able to still take advantage of our offering. And we also see very skilled crypto investors that are just trying to dabble in equities and futures. So we are able to really span the gamut of types of customers and provide them with the tools, the education, and the support that they need to get comfortable to add this asset class to their portfolio. What first got you into crypto anyway? I have been trading and investing since I was 18 years old. I traded FX for a long time. And FX left the US probably around 2010, 2011. And I was trading equities for a while. And equities to me were pretty boring post-2008. There's not a lot I could do for my trading skills. Then along comes this thing called crypto. And a dear friend of mine, he told me that I should trade Bitcoin or Ethereum. And I was just like, ah, you know, I don't know. This is, uh, I was down a different path of learning. I'm like, this is silly. And he said, why don't you just try it, place a trade and see what happens. And I did one trade and I was absolutely hooked. It helped that I made money. But what was really alluring for me was all the skills I had from doing FX investing, the technical analysis, the chart patterns, the macro understanding, I was able to apply very seamlessly for myself in crypto. And it was phenomenal. I was just back in my game of reading the news, understanding the big global themes that are at play and figuring out how to translate that into an investment thesis. And 
it helps that the asset class just is moving <laughs> in a parabolic manner. That was really what drew me into the place. And my journey into crypto is quite an interesting one, too, if you want to chat about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, besides your first trade, what else did you kind of start dabbling? So I first started with crypto mining when like trade stations all full of traders. And I remember I did a couple of trades and I was just sold. And I'm along with a handful of people here at trade station, like addicts to trading. We trade everything as much as you can. And I remember walking into my CEO's office and going, guys, I just closed my trade station account. I'm all in on crypto and heads just spun. They're like, what do you mean? All right, what are we missing? And so that sort of shifted the idea around that we should start to look at this as a business. And what changed there was that once you get the executives to say go, there's 500 of the people in the organization that you have to convince to try to do something. And that's like moving a mountain. That was insane. And so what I tried to do is figure out how do I go about getting this organizational knowledge? And what I had was a ton of technical resources, a lot of really highly skilled engineers. And I decided, let's go and start crypto mining. And the thought was, if this asset class becomes something, we're going to have a whole bunch of crypto assets. And if it becomes something, we'll know how to custody them. We'll know how to account for them on the books. We'll deal with all that basic alignment through this sort of guerrilla tactic of infiltrating the organization. And if it does become nothing, no harm, no follow, we just did some innovation projects and it didn't go anywhere. And so we did, we started mining in somewhat of a big way. I had three data centers at the time, New York, Chicago, Miami, and we just installed on our backup data centers, crypto miners. And so we were mining Monero and a variety of other tokens. And over time, we launched an employee mining program. And that's how I got my teeth cut was just buying ASICs, doing graphics cards, installing miners in the data centers and running really interesting kind of crazy operations at TradeStation all underneath this innovation project. And we sort of accidentally turned the data center into a profit center, not knowing what I know now and that it's great to have some costs in the business. It's not great when those costs go away. <laughs> I thought we were doing something good and you know, it, it was all in good fun. But the interesting part for us is that we're publicly traded in Japan and eventually you accumulate such a large asset base that it becomes a line item on your public disclosures on your parent company. At that point, heads are turning and people are going, what are we doing? Okay, we now uh, have this huge asset base and they start asking questions like, how is it secured? What are we doing financially with it? So at that time, we had all the ducks in order because I had the legal team involved, I had the IT security, the development team, the finance team. So everybody knew what we were doing and organizing. That was sort of it. At that point, we just launched and said, go do the crypto trading business. That's awesome. That is awesome. What is your full responsibility now at TradeStation? I run the crypto business with the CEO and the COO. So it pretty much buck stops with me for most of the stuff that we're doing. It was really the three of us that founded this organization within the organization. I always say I'm not smart enough to know you shouldn't say no to things. And uh, they pretty much gave me a post-it note and said, here, we'd like you to go launch this business and go figure out how to get it done and had a lot of support throughout the organization. So today, my official title is product strategy, but I span every different angle of this business budgeting to product direction to market positioning to out there speaking about it to assistant operations we built all these different components and so i know where all the shoestring of bubblegum is and for better or worse i'm tasked with going out and figuring out how to grow and scale this business as big as possible i guess one might ask you know what is the benefits of you doing that with trade station and maybe not on your own 
So I've done the starter path. <laughs> I love it. And I, for me, I'm not in a place where I was willing to go back onto ramen noodles and stand it all up. There was a time and place in my life where that was the excitement. What I really enjoyed was being a startup in a larger organization and functioning and taking all those skills that I've developed at home from being in a startup and just driving the direction forward. And I'm, a lot of times you join a company and when I joined E-Trade, they gave me a desk and a PowerPoint and they said, here, just stay here in this desk and do this thing. I'm like, wait a minute. I just came from a place where I was taking out the trash. I was like answering <laughs> phone calls. I was, <laughs> I do everything. So coming back full circle to that environment where your job description really is just something that sits on the business card and you span the full spectrum and ultimately the buck stops with a very narrow subset of people and I'm one of them. So it's thrilling and rewarding for me to do that with a budget where we can go out and make a big impact. What I've appreciated is TradeStation already has a large customer base. And so day one, launching this business, we can already start engaging and helping a large audience. And so that helps me make a bigger impact already having a bigger budget behind me. Well, let's get into that, right? Because there's multiple exchanges that exist out there, whether it's centralized, decentralized, crypto native, or coming from the traditional world. How do you guys distinguish yourself within the crypto space? And why would a customer maybe come to you guys over another exchange? Yep. So I think the first part is we offer the multi-asset class experience. And so you can trade across all the different asset classes that we offer at TradeStation. And in the crypto side, we are not going to be the place that lists every single coin. We're not the most aggressive, but we're also not the most aggressive on the equity side. And for us, that's carved out a nice niche where we're getting people that are more diligent, more careful and thoughtful about how and where they do their investments. And when you look at TradeStation Crypto, we don't function as an exchange. We're not an exchange. We really leaned into our role as a brokerage firm in that, like, let's look at stocks. If you were to buy Apple, you don't care where it's executed. You don't really worry about it. You just focus on doing what you do well. When we launched TradeStation, and still today for a number of customers, there's all these different pools of liquidity and all these different exchanges and you know which one do you choose and which one's going to be around tomorrow? Who knows? We had that same question when we launched the business, which was if we go and connect to one of these exchanges and offer that to our customers, who's going to be around? And when we first launched, this was in, I want to say 2017 was our main exploration it was still GDAX at the time. We went there and they were just a group of young people and they were a tech firm that happened to be in financial services. It was very foreign to us. We went to Gemini, it was the same thing, Kraken, same thing. And we left thinking like, hey, you know, we don't actually know if any of these firms will be around. And we can't go back to our board of directors and say that we built our business and put cash at a place that doesn't have a risk department or a, sort of the operating structures that we would be used to. And so we said, let's just lean into our brokerage role. Let's give the customers an experience that they expect. And I should probably tell you why that's important. Like if you trade at TradeStation today and you trade stocks, you have an expected experience. If I didn't deliver something comparable on the crypto side, people would be very upset because most of the folks where we're uh, focused on are people that are crossing over from traditional into crypto markets. And so simple things like P&L of your trade doesn't really exist in crypto. Most places don't tell you. They're going to tell you you're up or down. It's like, how much did it change in a day? 
nobody thinks about PL. Well, first thing out of the gate, our customers are like, hey, dude, how do I find out how much I'm making? <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's mostly external software. Yeah. And so that was a big thing that we did. We really took a look at what would be an expected experience and tried to bring that forward as much as possible into the crypto side. And so pulling back full circle, we connect to about five different venues. I handle all the backend account funding, credit lines, settlements, all the nonsense that people have to do today when they want to diversify risk across multiple exchanges. We handle all that. We let the customer just have a single account with us. They trade into a consolidated pool of liquidity. So it's not just any one pool. And we handle all that nonsense behind the scenes so they can just focus on what they want to do, which is invest their portfolio, manage their portfolio, track their gains, track their losses in a as much of a familiar experience as possible. You know, some of the side benefits are that if you trade at Coinbase or Kraken exclusively and there's a big move of excitement, there's challenges where you can't log in all the time. And so where we have similar challenges in that one or two or three of our venues might go might have troubles, we still have five. So you're usually able to place trades in and out. And our benefit is that that's going to be a lot more liquidity. So we can take much larger size orders that aren't going to impact the market. So if I'm a buyer of crypto on the platform, how is that custody? Great question. When we when we think about it at TradeStation, we are leaning into that brokerage role, which means I don't want to be the custodian. I don't want to be all of the components. I just want to do the brokerage piece. We use BitGo for our custody as service. We've built a layer of controls on top of BitGo, but that's our primary custodian for all the digital assets. They specialize in that, and that's what they do all day long. And I specialize in trade execution, market aggregation, and customer experience. I don't want to specialize in in custody. I'd rather leave that for the experts. That's interesting. So is that, maybe let's go into the fee schedule and how that would work yeah. trading crypto. Is there any type of custody fees or transaction fees? Yeah. So we, I think another benefit of us is I don't have to make every dollar on crypto. So I don't need to be greedy on this. We do charge a fully disclosed trading fee. It's a commission. We don't do anything with the spreads. We don't mark it up. Your audience will probably appreciate that because coming from any of the markets where they can take advantage of potential cost deductions or tax deductions from commissions. When you have a spread markup, you can't see that. So we focus on being very transparent. Whatever exchange quote I see is the exchange quote the customer sees, and there'll be a fee on top of it. It could be as low as five basis points on the trade. And so we charge nothing for custody. We charge nothing for deposits and withdrawals. We talk about it as a simple, low price, no hidden fees. There's a different schedule for the equities options and futures side, but that's for the most part free also. There's not a lot of charges there. Is that base pricing dependent on monthly volume and kind of how it goes up or down? When we thought about the business, there was a lot of folks that had volume tiering. And it, I think it's a great model, but it doesn't, it's not great for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an investor or you've got a million bucks or $10 million and you might trade once a quarter, you're going to get burned on the highest fee schedule and you're going to place an order. So so we didn't want to do that. What we said was, let's put something in place that allows people to hold assets and based on their asset balance will be what their fee tier is going to be. And so we have three fee tiers. If you have less than $100,000, I think you pay 25 basis points. If you have more than 100000 I think it's 10 and 20 basis points. And um, if you have more than a million dollars, you pay five basis points. So we tier it in that way. 
so that you're not required to overtrade just to maintain your discounts. Got it. And you guys have all the same tools, we'll say, or even more than most of the crypto exchanges that exist today. Yeah, I think that um, highly competitive on the order entry trade management stuff. We have some gaps in the number of coins that we offer, which should be closed pretty quickly. But you also have access to, when you look at actually ways to get in and manage your trades, it would be something that if you've traded ever or invested ever in equities and futures or options, you'd be familiar with. You'd look at it and go, oh yeah, of course you got to stop loss. <laughs> of course you got to target. <laughs> so when it comes to different type of coins, one of the questions that I think some people always ask is, how do you guys and legal go through a process in which determine what tokens you'll allow to list on your platform? And do you guys kind of also work with other people in the business to determine that? It's also a great question. It is something that I am continually challenged with. The process by which you figure out what is viable to list and what's not. Because the guidelines are murky in many instances, the things that we tend to focus on are going to be, is it a security or not? That's a big governing factor for us. Is there volume and market interest? So, In other words, do we anticipate that it will be around more than just the current enthusiasm? And once we break those down, what we're going to do first is an assessment from a legal and AML compliance perspective. Does it fit within our criteria? Yes, no, or some degree. It's kind of a, a range in there. Once we feel that we can get comfortable that it's not a security, there's enough business opportunity in that coin. And it fits with all of our current vendors supported. Like example, I couldn't put something in that BitGo doesn't support was one example. So we go through that analysis and we get to a place where we're comfortable with the coin. Then we will put it through a variety of committees for review and, and approval. So it's not an easy process. It's quite expensive. So as you can imagine, it's difficult for us to be super responsive. Like a new coin pops up and everyone's excited about it. It takes time for us to work through. And that process, your question about do we work with our counterparts? Absolutely. And I would say that more and more, the various teams that are reviewing these are getting more sophisticated in their understanding. And so all of our processes are taking a lot longer to list. We do, I think this is something that's super unique with crypto is that most firms are very open. We are very open and share a lot. It's really unusual. So from the equity side, we knew about our competitors, but it was unusual to be able to call and talk to their various teams to get advice. Here, it's like small little family of companies that are all working together and collaborating, sharing notes. And I almost feel that it's like crypto against the banks would be <laughs> the way to look at it. Like There's such a huge pie right now that everyone can play together. And eventually, we will band together and have to ward off any competitors that come in. Most of the existing we'll call them exchanges, brokerages in the traditional world that are bringing over their existing customer base, do you think that's where most of their traffic will come from for a while? And let me add to that. I guess how much of that customer base is actually coming over and dabbling or trading in crypto? So in our various counterparts that we interact with, whether that's banks, processors, brokerage firms, their crypto offering in all instances is the fastest growing segment of their business. And the reason behind that, I believe, is that there's a lot of pent-up demand and interest in the space. It's a lot easier than it was in 2017 to get involved, but it's still not easy to get involved. And I think from a 
retail person's perspective, it's becoming easier. From a varying degrees of institutions, it's still difficult. If you're a credit fund, for example, how do you get involved? If your charterists invest in credit, there's not a lot of options. Maybe you buy MicroStrategy's debt if they do another offering, but you don't have a great option. If you're an, an asset manager and your charter doesn't let you hold physical, then it's not easy. I think there's $10 trillion of funds that are on the sidelines waiting for access in. ETFs help. You know, they definitely help in that space to gain exposure. But what percentage of their business? I think it varies business by business, but I would be surprised if whoever adds this, it's not their fastest growing segment of business. I would definitely agree there, at least by what we're seeing in the marketplace, right? You mentioned ETF, right? We've seen the first futures ETF come out last week. What's your take on that? Maybe what are the benefits to crypto in general? Maybe what is not the benefits from it? So I think that there is definitely some validation of, let's say Bitcoin specifically, uh, when there's an ETF around. And when I say validation, it's that for a while, it was this obscure thing that you could only access in certain places. Then it became closer to exchanges. Then there's brokers. Now you can trade it as a stock. And so there's some level of validation there. It opens up access to a lot of capital, not only the 10 trillion advisors. I believe it's something like 50 or 56% of the U.S. population has a stock trading account in some fashion, right? Now, I think when I looked, it was somewhere around 12 or 15% of a crypto account. So I, I don't think that you're going to see 55% of the population have a crypto account, but 55% of the people could either push a button or call someone to ask them to buy the ETF. So that's a huge advancement for the space in terms of access to exposure of the asset class. Now, everyone's kind of has a discussion around the futures-based ETF versus a spot-based. What is your opinion on each one? I like both. I like both for different reasons, though. Futures ETF was sort of a natural way in because it kept everything contained at CME. It creates a incredible opportunities for sophisticated people to be able to interact. And not just by the ETF. When you have a a lot of people buying an ETF, it creates pressure on the futures contracts, which creates a lot of premium in the futures contracts, which creates a lot of trade opportunities where you can engage in maybe spot crypto and futures to generate income against your portfolio. Or you can engage in the ETFs against the futures and generate income. So it creates more opportunity on the trading side. It's also done something really interesting that I think is a benefit, but I am biased on this. Having the brokerage firm as kind of our sister company, for the first time, the CME is the largest derivatives volume player in the world. So that helps to bring the derivatives trading into some type of established rules infrastructure. And it helps because if you're a market maker, you can easily go set up Deribit or Bitmax or something. If you are a Trade station, I can't go set up that account. <laughs> it's just not within our risk profile. So it just brings more volume. It brings more participants. It brings more access. Now, without a doubt, the smart people have opportunity to do shenanigans with the futures and the basis trades and um, that are much harder to do with a spot-based ETF where there's an underlying spot. 
I would be very excited to see something like a GLD for crypto where you can redeem the physical. You can contribute or redeem. That would be very interesting for me. I think we're a ways away for that, though. We're likely to see, I would argue that it's essential that we see more futures ETFs open up because you can't have that much capital plowing into one instrument and really have a good market. <laughs> it's just not a good idea. You need to spread it out. And there'll probably be dominant ones for sure, but it's better to not have it all concentrated into one specific instrument. We think it's a great step for Bitcoin and the crypto market as a whole. Yeah, I think so. It's um, If I kind of step back, it's when I watch traders start with crypto and I'll this is what I think has happened with the SEC. When I watch a crypto trader get involved, they do one small action, watch what happens. And then very quickly, there's a lot more activity behind it because that first step is the hardest and the second, third, fourth, fifth are not as hard. And I think it's very similar at the regulators where that first one is the hardest. It's got the highest reputation risk. It's got You're, you're essentially taking a policy position on a specific instrument. But now you've laid down a framework that you can follow going forward. And I think you're going to see more, more assets that look similar around that futures-based ETF. And as the various regulatory agencies get comfortable with what's out there, maybe they get uncomfortable. That's very possible too. But they're starting to be able to check, do their procedures work? Are there oversights in place? Can they properly manage this thing? And once you are doing those activities, you start to gain momentum and they will likely find a way to become comfortable with expanding that type of that offering. You know, one side we have, we'll call it the regulated derivatives offerings, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of crypto, we have those creating these protocols and different derivatives not registered. Right? How do you think they exist in the future? Is it different users or what will happen? I'm not sure what happens to the perpetuals. I do foresee a future where you have more derivatives exchanges that are traditional derivatives exchanges supporting the derivative offering. It's not clear to me yet whether there's enough investment capital to sustain the sort of perpetual markets and the listed derivatives. And what we should keep an eye on is that the large pockets, the deep pockets, are likely to go into the listed exchanges, which means it's going to bring more liquidity, more participants, more volume, and it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's not clear if it'll drain the derivative, the perpetual side. We may very well see some consolidation, just like we saw with CBOE and RSX last week, where they are starting to bring in different types of crypto products into the listed companies. That's a great example of CBOE. They didn't do so well with their own futures product, but they've acquired ARISX, which, full disclosure, we are an investor in ARISX, but they have an interesting futures product that you can have physically delivered. They have a spot exchange underneath it. And so that's quite interesting from the CBOE perspective, because now they have something that's competitive against the backed ICE product. And will they capture business? It's hard to say. But from our retail brokerage side, it's a lot easier for us to interact with CBOE than it is to interact with RSX. Got it. So I guess probably for most of the listeners that are going to be investing in, we'll call it spot 
yeah. crypto, right? Or uh, Bitcoin, et cetera. I mean, can they utilize a leverage through your platform? Great question. <laughs> no, we are not a leverage platform. It's something that we have discussed and have not been able to find a way that fits within the current guidelines that we have to be able to offer it. We tend to think that over time, this asset class will get merged in the broker-dealer. And if that does, then leverage and margin and all the exciting things you get with a brokerage house come along with it. Short selling, currently no leverage. But over time, I expect that to change. And when I say time, I think it's very likely in the next one to two years, we're going to get clarity on how this fits on the broker-dealer. I think everyone is hoping for a lot of clarity in the next one year, right? In the next one year, everyone's clarity on a lot of different things. I can't imagine how much money is just being spent on non-clarity. <laughs> well, oh my God. I can tell you that like we have all the big accounting firms and we have lawyers that have lawyers and outside counsels. And it's amazing to me how opinions can shift week by week. And so you may pay for guidance on something that makes sense this week and you start to make a business decision. And then all of a sudden that guidance shifts to another direction the following week and you have to be nimble. And I think that's probably what a lot of people are struggling with is that things shift a lot. And so once that stabilizes, you'll probably see more people get involved. All right, cool. So everyone that would uh, utilize TradeStation, you guys have the tools for the P&L, utilize BitGo in the background. Security on the account, right? One of the biggest things that people worry about in crypto is someone hacking their account. Can you kind of explain what security measures you have in place and what people need to be aware of and what best practice? Yeah. So let's break that down into two components. From an individual customer perspective, and then let's talk about best practices afterwards, because I think they're, they overlap a lot. But typically, when somebody thinks about their crypto getting hacked. It happens in one of two ways. The company that is custodying the assets has a security breach, whether that's an employee or an outside actor that comes in and is able to gain access to the systems and take the assets. Second would be somebody's able to come in and take control of an individual user's account or set of accounts like we saw with Coinbase. There's a variety of different frameworks that are in place on the, let's say, the entity side. And for security purposes, I won't go into those frameworks. I'll kind of dance around it and give you what information I can. We look at it as a, a multi-layered approach between insurance on assets, between internal operational controls. I mean, almost everything we do has two or three approvers. It's always a maker checker type setup. And we have a variety of different security protocols and perimeters that make it difficult. I mean, at this point, there's no one person that can do something in our business. It's going to require two to three people to make any type of action. So that's sort of how we're managing the enterprise level components. And then insurance provides that extra comfort or peace of mind that should something go wrong or we didn't anticipate something, there is a fund that can be able to be utilized. On the individual side, that's the weakest part. And the weakest part is that I have a thousand passwords of every imaginable site. And so I chose something that might be like James123, and that's my password. And it's kind of like your bank account or your retirement account that username and password is very important to protect. 
we do require that anybody with a crypto account uses the 2FA for login. We allow text message. We prefer, I'm not even sure what you call it, it's an MFA token where you have to punch in the number or, or accept on your phone. By default, that's what everybody gets, much like a Google Authenticator. We use Guardian. As soon as you set up your crypto account, that first step is login to FA. And then for any time you log in, you have to put your 2FA in. In order to reset your 2FA, there's a variety of hoops you need to jump through. Not always the nicest customer experience, but it's designed to create speed bumps. I mean, when you think about this, it's I don't know that any system is perfect, but you try to create as much delays and hurdles and speed bumps as possible to prevent bad actors. We also apply account limits on how much assets can be withdrawn at any given time. Prior to doing any withdrawal with us, there's a process of verification. And so the first time we need to make sure that it is you, the subsequent times there's limits unless you make requests for us to customize those limits for you. And every transfer goes through some types of review, compliance screening, security screening prior to going out. The end result is that it's not as fast as sending from wallet to wallet. But we put in those controls and we put in all the communication with the customers that if somebody took control of my account, I should be able to catch it via email or TradeStation should be able to catch it via some type of process they have in place. And again, it's just layers of speed bumps and trying to put the maximum protection in place. But it's without a doubt, the weakest point is the individual, the password they've chosen and the security recovery questions that they have. In terms of best practices, I think you need to look at your personal security again in layers like an onion and, and think about things in terms of speed bumps and complexity. Thieves and hackers like easy targets. And so if you just have a simple email, and simple password, you become a pretty easy target. Even just adding a 2FA onto your email goes a long way to making it much harder for you to take control. And an email is probably, when I think about my personal security, it's like the most important piece. Every one of my accounts recovers into some email address. And so if anybody gains control of an email address, then they can gain control over an account because they can recover that email and so on down the line. So I think about things like some form of multiple two-factor authentications on the email. I protect that email. I use an email that I don't use anywhere else for any kind of signups. I then think about all my accounts as possible, having multi-factor authentication on them so that should somebody want to compromise my account, there's additional hurdles. Maybe if I were to kind of distill it all simple, think about things that are going to make it difficult and slow for someone to gain access to your account. Two-factor is great. I tend to avoid two-factor via SMS. I don't like it. I don't want to be reliant on my phone number. I prefer to have something like a Authy Google Authenticator or an Officer Guardian. And I apply that to all of my critical accounts. And it's not just crypto, like it's it's your retirement account, it's your bank account, it's your phone, it's your credit cards. It's these breaches happen in a variety of different manners. And it's unpleasant if anything gets taken. <laughs> Yeah. And then when you're like overseas and someone's trying to hack in your accounts and you're trying to recover and try and set up stuff and then it's so hard to deal with. But I guess at the same time, you want it to be hard to get in there, right? Yeah. Do you guys have services mostly to everyday investor or do you also serve like funds or institutional clients when it comes to the crypto aspect? So we do both. We have an institutional focus team that all 
a whole job is really geared towards understanding the needs of that specific entity. Every entity is different. So it's really hard to do something that's kind of one size fits all. We will be able to service entities from, let's say, an insurance company that wants to have a corporate treasury to it with us to a uh, maybe a bank that wants to offer crypto to their customers as a potential customer of ours to a hedge fund that has a varying degree of trade volume or buy and hold that they want to go with. So for me, any institution really is a B2B play. And that is uh, they have some business that they want to build that involves some form of crypto exposure. There's a company down here that we've worked with that has created a employee retention program on crypto. Phenomenal. The, the guy's awesome. His name is Luis Casatua. His view was this asset class is so interesting that he wants his people to have some basic understanding from experts prior to them going off and doing anything. So he put this program in that educates the employees. He's doing a match of their contribution into this account. And he's helping them get started on this journey around crypto, which ultimately leads into some other form of your personal finances. And his whole point was, look, if I'm not taking care of this exciting place for my employees, somebody else will. Yeah. And it's just become this great like retention and talent acquisition tool for him. So that's kind of one example that you wouldn't really think would be serviced by a broker dealer, but it really fits well with us. On the other side, from the individuals, anybody from I know nothing to, hey, I've been trading my whole life really fits well here. We have things you can consume. I, you know, I would probably say that when you were to stack us up against like a Robinhood, we tend to be more complex than Robinhood, which gives you more opportunity to grow. So typically what happens is you get in, you, you make a couple of investments and then you're looking to grow and whether that's education or maybe you want to engage in other types of tools, you tend to want to have those at your disposal. So we get a lot of graduates from these like starter beginner platforms that come over to us when they're looking for new new tools. We fit pretty well with interactive brokers on the main asset class offering. But yeah, from an individual perspective, you can be at any level of sophistication on any of the asset classes. And we have a way that we can interact with you. To be expert of one, novice in another. And, and we see that a lot where you have, I've been trading equities my entire life. And I want to try crypto. I don't know anything about it. Where do I start? <laughs> just push the button. It's like a black hole. Just you could put your money, all your money into it, just disappears quick. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Right. I always tell people, look, look, skip the Starbucks coffee, put five bucks in. You don't have to do a lot. Just try it. It'll make it very real, very quick. <laughs> Over the years in crypto, there's a lot of different themes that present themselves, and some come, some go, some stay. For those that are getting involved, in crypto today, there's a lot of different offerings. How do you kind of get started? Well, so uh, the first thing is you've got to do some reading, got to get a little bit of education. I always like what I had just mentioned, spend five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever you pay for a cup of coffee that you're not going to miss and just buy something, anything and watch how it unfolds. There's this scariness and this uncertainty before you do that first action that paralyzes a lot of people. And if you can take that first step and you see that it's not so scary and you see that, hey, I'm okay with five bucks, that could go away. 
then that's really the way that your learning journey starts because you will, once you have some capital in it, you're going to be more incentivized to observe what's going on. You'll be more incentivized to try to learn more about what's happening. And then they always talk about it as the rabbit hole, the crypto rabbit hole. And you just start going down this path and learning. And it's a really exciting thing, blockchain, cryptocurrency. For someone like me that's a knowledge junkie that just loves to learn, it's amazing. I mean, there's something new every single day and I definitely can't keep up with it. And the more I learn, the less I realize I really know about the space. Don't worry. Most of us don't know everything. (laughs) I don't know anybody that knows everything in the space. It changes so much and um, it's just exciting to be able to watch how it unfolds. And typically after your first purchase, it'll always drop something. So, you know, start with a few, <laughs> a few dollars because it always, it always drops after you buy for some reason, you know? I mean, like you said, you could go down the crypto rabbit hole and there's just so much that for the typical human being, it's probably too much, right? Because they can't focus on making a decision. What do you think are some themes that they should look at today that are popular that you think are going to be around the next few years? Yeah. Before I go on and ask that question, I just want to maybe call out one thing. Even if if you're used to trading stocks, keep in mind how much you actually know about that company when you make those investments and realize that we know very little about a lot of the companies we're investing in. And so you don't need to know every single detail about crypto in order to participate and know, keep your risk management under control and, and you'd be most likely fine. Now, to the first part of the question, or the actual question, interesting themes that are going on. I'll answer in two ways. There's a theme that I am really excited about, which is anything that allows me to run a side hustle in crypto is something I'm very interested in. And if I have excess resources and I can monetize those excess resources in a side hustle, that's exciting for me. It could be something like Filecoin, sharing my hard drive space to earn a little bit of cash. One thing that I personally like for no other reason than I accidentally fell into it was Helium. That is a Internet of Things network that is being developed where if you host a router at home, it's like this little black box and you plug it into your internet, you can earn Helium just for sharing your broadband out to the, I guess, the community. I can't tell you whether it's going to be around tomorrow. But it's a very cool thing you can get involved in in a very affordable way. I think it's like three or $400 you can buy the router and you can just start to leverage your excess internet. And it's not like you're running a mining farm. The thing makes no sound. It just sits there next to your router. It is one of the, one of the few projects that has seen exponential usage and growth yeah. actually occur. Any opinion on maybe this NFT cycle? <laughs> Yes. Just your own personal thoughts. Personal thoughts. I am not invested in NFTs, but I absolutely love the space. And I love the space for one reason. It's really about tokenizing our culture. Everyone thinks about NFT as like an expensive JPEG, but that's not the real magic behind this thing. If you look at what Gary Vee or the Board of Yacht Clubs, what they've managed to do is to create this community based on these tokenized I mean, they're using artwork, but it's this place where you can really turn the relationship between a brand and its customer on its head. Today, all brands and customers are designed this way. 
The brand wants to extract value from the customer. We're going to provide you something. You're going to pay me for something. That's how it works, right? If it's a fashion company, they're going to sell you clothes. And he's going to wear the clothes. This NFT world has the potential to really flip that on its head where successful brands are going to have to be providing a different level of value to their communities where people will join a community because of the value they're getting out of it. Most of us have a friend that loves to scout out music and like they want to find the hot new band. Imagine if that band could sell an NFT to thousand people and that band would basically give up 10% of their proceeds for the first year. Now you've just created a thousand marketers for that brand, that band that's trying to get out there and advocate. So there's very interesting things you can do with these NFTs that can help to drive value into a community and bring a brand much closer to that community. I don't recommend anybody go out and spend $2 million on a JPEG. That's <laughs> a little bit absurd, but they will find their way into more mainstream interactions. I mean, I think Gary Vee, if you want to work with him now, requires you to buy one of his NFTs in order to just get a ticket to the to the show. <laughs> interesting. It's interesting. And it will be very interesting to see all the different type of royalty-like yeah. options that you can participate in in the future, especially within music on the DeFi side. I mean, DeFi has been a pretty high conversation the last 12 to 18 months. Do you have any opinion there? I do like DeFi. I like DeFi for a couple of reasons, but... I think the first part is that right now for us, let's say as an institution, DeFi is very hard for us to interact with. It's very difficult for us to get comfortable with not knowing who the counterparty is on the other side of the trade. And there's two things that follow you around the rest of your life. And there's no statute of limitations. It's murder and AML violations, AML sanctions. <laughs> It doesn't matter if it wasn't North Korea today, but it was North Korea later. Like that will come back to punch you. So there are some really talented and smart people working on solving that know your customer type of interaction. And if whoever figures out how to solve it elegantly that preserves that same seamless ease of experience will do really well. I like DeFi for the earning possibilities that are unlocked. Whether you want to participate in some type of lending or borrowing, or you want to participate in staking, there's avenues now that most people can get a hold of and interact with and earn more than they would earn in a traditional bank account. And those don't come along with that same obscure AML risks. Those are different types of, of things. So I can go in today and I can deposit into a smart contract and I can earn, I mean, I, I don't think I will, I've never tried to earn anything more than like 12%, but people are out there maybe smarter than me that are earning 100%. I tend to think anything above 6 8%, you're getting pretty far on the risk curve and I'm not that comfortable personally, but there are people who are very smart that can do it. So those are really interesting for me. I think it's very interesting that I as an individual could take my privately hosted wallet and convert from let's say Bitcoin into Ethereum without having to go through an exchange, without having to go through that headache of onboarding and funding an account. That's pretty exciting for me. So I, I'm pretty optimistic about the space. I think that the current challenges will, I have no doubt that they will be solved. <laughs> the only doubt is when. 
Yeah, the only thing I was playing. I mean, look, if you look at Galaxy, that probably one of the lead crypto folks, they have a huge team focused on this. Most of the banks have a team focused on DeFi, and they understand that the fundamental model of finance is shifting. And what financial institutions used to love and thrive on, which is that two, three, four day settlement cycle where everyone makes money, is is going to close. It's going to close really quickly, and they need to find ways to be able to interact with it. Well, let's go to our last topic here, and that is going to be the roadmap, right? And kind of what can investors and users of TradeStation expect coming down the pipeline next year or two? It's a couple of interesting things. Without divulging too much what we're doing, I would tell you that the areas that we are most interested in are going to be not as sexy, but are going to be very useful and viable for the customers. For example, we think that Retirement accounts, whether that's IRAs or 401ks, are a huge opportunity begging for a easy to use, low cost offering. And that one is likely before the end of the year. If you have an IRA and you want to open with TradeStation, you'd probably be able to do that. And then take advantage of the potential tax benefits of earning crypto with some type of deferred taxation scheme. We also see big improvements in our customer experience which are going to be around opening up access to all of the asset classes and single views and single account structures for companies and individuals that are interested to trade maybe futures and crypto together. Those are things that are quite interesting for us. So it's really expanding the types of serviceable accounts, expanding the ways in which customers can interact with us from the UI and from the API perspective. Those are probably two of the most exciting things, the the coins that we had mentioned earlier. If I lose all my hair, I will get the coins out of <laughs> get new coins added to the service. And those are probably the three big things. And like I said, they might not be sexy, but what they are is we're really focused on broadening the types of access that customers can have and making it easier for them to interact with. There's some operational things behind the scenes that are for us to become more scalable. But we also are, this is not necessarily for the individual, but what's interesting about our kind of trade station umbrella business is you have what 50, 75 crypto exchanges in the US. All of them are racing to offer derivatives in some fashion. I, as trade station securities, have a full self-clearing FCM, a broker dealer. And there are a large number of those crypto exchanges that are interested to find ways to offer futures or futures options, which makes us a pretty desirable offering for those companies to work with. So that's where we see a lot of big growth happening for us is in our B2B to servicing other crypto providers. I mean, where are we really at? Well, you know, there's always a mixed feedback people get with banks, other brokerages, larger players coming into the space. It's been the talk of the last couple of years. Finally, the last 12 months, we've seen entrance into the market, but still, I think you know, we still have a little bit of time in front of us. What does that look like realistically? For banks and individuals to get involved? Yeah, I mean, just all the banks, all the brokerages. So I think that what we just saw today, MasterCard made the announcement about offering to their merchants. So it's coming. I'd be surprised by the end of next year if you're not seeing Bitcoin form of payments in many different stores, institutions. Whether people use it or not is another story, but I think that it's... um, It's coming. We have a lot of colleagues at various banks, and 
it's hard to find any institution that doesn't, any financial institution that's not working in this space. That's from one of the big banks right now. So I think they'll still be slower to get there. Probably some type of white label solution, but there's demand and interest. And it's not necessarily the banks that are driving the demand, it's their customers. You know, if you're a big hedge fund or you're Google and you have your clearing accounts at a big five US bank, you're asking, hey, how do I deal with this? I want to offer this. MasterCard's letting me take this asset in. How are you going to let me hold it with you? And so it's forcing the banks to get into involved. Well, some of the services that exist around the IRA or the banking for crypto businesses, we'll call it, I felt have kind of been taken advantage of the situation in regarding to what they're charging existing customers. So it would be nice to see some of these other players come into the market to bring that cost down. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, we looked at the IRA offering and I was shocked by how expensive <laughs> it is. And we've seen things like it's $1,200 to set up. I mean, just the fee schedules are insane. We saw one company that charges 4% to buy and 1% to sell. Like, Can you imagine you put in that size order? That's insane. <laughs> that, that fees. That's what I'm saying. I, I, we've seen them all. We've interviewed a few and definitely, you know, there's nothing less than 1% of something at least going on there. Not yet. <laughs> if you can streamline that and bring that cost effective, I think you could definitely uh, gain a lot of customers there. Yeah. Look, I appreciate having you on. We always have a, a final question for our guests that I didn't prepare you with. And that is, what is the biggest thing you've implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Wow. Um Every day I get up and I spend an hour learning every single day. And that uh, it's taken me down some really exciting paths and it's led me into crypto. And every single day I spend just whether it's researching, listening to podcasts, that's been the single biggest impact to my financial situation. Dude, if we could only get the kids back in like high school to actually only have to learn what they're interested in, kind of like us in crypto, I think they would go a lot further, right? Because when I was in school, you didn't want to learn anything. <laughs> yeah. But now you get older, you're like, shit, I want to dive down the rabbit hole and learn a lot of this because there's a lot of interest in it. So I think that's one way they should kind of change up the school system a little bit. But I agree, you know, continuously within the crypto market, there's things to learn every day to stay on top of things. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. One of my biggest passions is trying to figure out how to better prepare our college graduates for workforce. Can't tell you how many people come to me this is like, I have a finance degree. Can I have a job? I'm like, well, finance is so big. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. For our listeners, you know, what is the best way for them to either get in touch with you or if they just want to learn more about TradeStation, where should they go? Absolutely. So you can go to www.tradestationcrypto.com. That's where you'll find information about our company. I'm on Twitter. James R. Putra. You can find me there. Happy to have a conversation. Also, I own the domain CryptoDaddy.com if you want to check out my profile. <laughs> well, James, I appreciate coming out today. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you and your audience. The Joe Roberts Show.